in. Galatians chapter 4. And we're going to be starting in verse 1. Paul is still going over the doctrines of truth. The doctrine of salvation. It's very, very important. Doctrine is extremely important. In the book, The Trail of the Blood, it, it speaks of many that, that gave their lives for, for the doctrine, for, for what the Bible teaches, the, the right teaching of what we believe. There's some sayings that go way back in years past on doctrine, and I'm just going to read some of them to you. A.W. Tozer said, Great saints have always been dogmatic. And, of course, he's talking about doctrine. There can be no spiritual health without doctrinal knowledge. We cannot have the benefits of Christianity if we shed its doctrines. The truth is, no preacher ever had any strong power that was not the preaching of doctrine, is what Phillips Brooks says. Vance Havner said... When we have room enough for any and every brand of doctrine, that's too much room. Joseph Parker said, They may be old-fashioned doctrines, but they created missionary societies, Sunday schools, hospitals, orphanages, and refuges for penitents. They gave every child a new value, every father a new responsibility, every mother a new hope, and constituted human society into a new conscience and a new trust. We cannot first sneer at the doctrine and then claim its infinite beneficence, nor can we borrow its socialism that we may quench its inspiration. Let us be very careful how we give up Trees that have borne such fruit and in whose leaves there has been such healing. That was Joseph Parker. A.W. Tozer again says, It would be impossible to overemphasize the importance of sound doctrine in the life of a Christian. Right thinking about spiritual matters is imperative if we would have right living. As men do not gather grapes of thorns nor figs of thistles, so sound, so sound character does not grow out of unsound teaching. As I have mentioned before, there is more of a passion to see wrong made right. There's more harsh words used in the book of Galatians than the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, there was, there was immorality, and there were all kinds of things and sins going on in the church, and no one was pointing that out. However, we have a more firm word here, and it's because doctrine, the teachings of the Bible, have gotten off course, and, and the Lord used Paul to teach them when they were saved. So... It, it didn't have to be, but it is. So as we continue in Paul talking to Galatia about the doctrine, we're going to look in uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And 
We actually shared the second part of chapter 3 last week. And Paul's God-guided lecture was on the promise to Abraham of salvation. And that is against keeping the law. It couldn't be both. It's one, and it was the promise to Abraham. And how salvation is by faith. We are saved by faith and we are not saved by works. And if you remember, he used several points in order to refresh these erring Christians in Galatia because they were saved. They were saved by the truth, uh, rightly. And then they are starting to err. So the points I made, and maybe it will refresh us, was he taught, Paul talked about the covenant made, the promise of God uh, to Abraham... And then the law, he spoke of the law given and why it was given. The scripture concluded, God said it, and that settles it, that, that salvation is by faith. And then the faith came, the spreading of the gospel. And then the law guided, or in other words, the law is a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. The law doesn't save, it leads us to the one that does save. And when we are saved, the burden is lifted. No more condemning by the law upon us since Christ fulfilled it. And we've trusted in Him. And and all at the same time, the adoption was finalized. The relationship started. And if you remember a point on the harmony existed. The harmony had existed in the church between the people, between Paul and the church, between the preacher and the church. But they got to a point where there was no more harmony going on. And the reason was for doctrine that was starting to err and change from the truth. And and it closed with a, kind of a reiterating of the promise accepted. The promise of salvation, when accepted, makes us heirs or inheritors according to the promise. And we're not experiencing the full inheritance yet. But one day we're going to see our Lord and Savior face to face. We are going to be like Him. And we're going to worship the Lord forever. And it's going to be without the existence of sin. We're going to be doing what we want to do one day. And that is worshiping and praising our Lord forever. What a beautiful inheritance that we have. And we have it now. Eternal life is now in this life. It started the moment we were saved. What a, what a beautiful promise has been made to us. And what an inheritance we have. And we're going to continue starting in chapter 4 concerning the inheritance. And this is going to be the illustration in verses 1 through 3. He says, Now I say... That the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world." An oldest son in the family then, um, he was marked, he had it in the bag, he was the inheritor, he was going to be the Lord, the master of the estate. He was taking over. He, he, in one way you could say he already had the position. It was known, it was, it was coming, he was the one for the position. Uh, even in his childhood... However, in his childhood, he wasn't fulfilling the position yet, okay? As, as 
you know, leader over the estate or, or the family. He wouldn't even be allowed if he was tried to, if he tried to do that in his childhood, even though the position was his. And verse 1 says that the heir, uh, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. This heir to the throne of the home, in his, in his child state, he had no more authority than a servant during his childhood. He was actually under the authority of, a, of, a, of the servant of the estate or of the family. He was, he was under the, the leadership of this, of this servant. And in two ways, he was under tutors. And tutors were responsible for the conduct of the child. Uh, I think we might need some tutors today. Um, but, and he was also under governors. Uh, the governor was responsible for the material needs of the child. And these were not family members. These were stewards of the estate outside the family that governed over the family member, that governed over the heir that wasn't in position yet. He had authority over the heir. And at the end of verse 2, it says, until the time appointed from his dad. Okay, and remember when I was explaining schoolmaster last week, I was talking about how the servant reared and raised the child from roughly about six years old to 16 years old. And then there is a time that as the dad is observing and overseeing and watching his child and his son mature and grow, he says, this is it. Uh, one day he says, the time is now. No more minority governing over the authority. It's a set time and the dad makes it known. And, ver- and, and so that's the illustration. And we tie into what he's talking about in verse 3 when he says, even so we. Or, in other words, in the very same way as that. The Old Testament Christian believed in the Messiah by faith, but obviously the fulfilling of the law had not happened yet. Jesus had not come into the world yet. So the fulfilling of the law, it was already predetermined and predestined by God that it was going to happen, but it had not been carried out yet. It hadn't taken place. And, and so Old Testament Christians were still subject to the rule of the unfulfilled law. They trusted in the Lord just as you and I did, but there were differences for the Christian. For, for instance, there's a difference now than then. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 26, it says, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the Messiah, the completion of the Messiah coming into this world. Look, it was a mystery. He wasn't manifested yet. So there were, there were differences. And obviously the law had not been fulfilled yet. But the, but the manifestation of Christ and the indwelling of Christ, it was, it was a mystery. It was hidden from the Old Testament saints. And, and so they were in a position 
to where something more was coming, even though they had trusted it, even though they had received the promise of God. And and so you relate that just like the child that is to be the heir, and he's going to be the, the master or the Lord over things. He has the position, but it hasn't unfolded completely yet. And that's the way it was for Old Testament saying, and, and there's a, there was a time that came along. There was a time that things changed. Can't believe this just popped into my mind, but I have two older brothers. And through elementary school, I never got any new clothes. I wore my older brother's clothes. He was only three and a half years older than me. But the fashion trend had obviously changed over three and a half years. And my silky satin shirts and my corduroy pants just weren't in style anymore. I mean, that time had passed. And I'm not making light of some really good truth in saying that, but that's what pops into my mind with these Jews being so out of style about things spiritually. There's a time that had passed concerning the things of the law and what the law was doing in exchange for something that God had ready for time that he put in place in time. So we've seen the illustration. Let's look at verse 4 at the incarnation and the changing of time. And we're going to see how, how out of style the Jews were. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Just as the dad set his son in place completely as heir with authority at a set time, God did the very same thing with His precious Son, Jesus Christ, for you and I. God was always prepared. The Lord was always prepared for, for His coming into this world. He was always ready to show, God was always ready to show Himself in the flesh. But for mankind's sake, there was a period of preparing the world for His Son. You know, 700 years before Christ came, Isaiah prophesied of His crucifixion. The law went out to show everyone that we cannot obtain a right relationship with God on our own. We're all guilty of the law. And there, there was time for these things that God was doing for the benefit of mankind. God always knew the very moment that Jesus would come into this world. And it wasn't based on Anything man was doing, as far as the lost people, it wasn't based on people mocking the prophecies of the Messiah coming. And don't you know people said, well, he hadn't come yet. Where's that Messiah that you've put your faith in? You call yourself Abraham, and that's that means the father of many nations, and you don't even have a child. Where's your children at? Where is this Messiah at? And there was the mocking going on. That did not shake God or, or alter God's plan in any way, nor did anything else that that lost man did. It happened whenever God appointed it. He had an appointed time for the Messiah to come. And when the fullness of that time was come, God sent forth His Son. I want you to notice the, some doctrine here of our Lord and Savior. And, and first thing we're going to notice is His pre-existence. 
it says God sent forth His Son. That has nothing to do with a beginning of Jesus. That has nothing to do with the creation of Jesus. We're going to see that Jesus wasn't created. God sent Christ from His right hand in heavenly glory. God sent forth a pre-existing person when He was born into this world miraculously through Mary. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 9 says that God created all things by Jesus Christ. So when the great wells and the moving creatures and the winged fowl and the cattle and the creeping thing and the beast and man among all those other things were created, Jesus Christ was right there with the Father and He was using the Son to do these things. Never let anyone tell you that there were other religions before Christianity. Because Christianity was going on in the mind of God before anything ever came about. Uh, Christ has always been there with the Father. So there was, there were no religions before Christianity. So we notice His pre-existence. And next, let's notice His deity. God sent forth His Son made of a woman. Jesus, being both human and divine, it couldn't be seen more clearly than what we have right here. God made Himself man, but God was still God when He made Himself man. He didn't sacrifice His deity to appear in the flesh. And what I'm saying right now really tears up a whole lot of thoughts and beliefs and doctrines out there. But He didn't sacrifice His deity when He came into this world. He didn't have a sin nature in the flesh because God sent forth Jesus through the woman. That's significant that He was born of the seed of the woman because the sin nature passed through the man. So Jesus, just as the Bible says, He knew no sin. And He did not have a sin nature. He was perfectly divine. Let's not just notice His pre-existence and notice His deity, though. Notice His humanity. It says that He was made under the law. He took upon Himself all of the general obligations that the Father imposed on the human race. He submitted Himself to His own law. And remember, Jesus coming in the flesh, He was our great example, and, and everything He did was for us while He was here upon this earth. But we not only see the illustration in the Incarnation in verse 5, let's look at His intention, because He just wasn't sent forth, period. He was sent forth for a reason, and we see the intention in verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Jesus was sent forth, from the Father, and He was sent forth with a commission, and He was sent forth for a purpose. The law showed, as God was preparing the world for the Messiah to be manifested in the flesh, God showed all sinners to be sinners under the law. And the price for sin is death. And the unfulfilled law reigned over mankind over all the human race, as that law constantly whispered that, that I'm the price of death. But Jesus came to 
redeem us. He came and He redeemed. He paid the price to... That word means to pay the price to recover from another's possession and another's power. And Jesus redeemed us from the burden of the law. God God made us. He he made Adam and Eve. and, And He had them. They were His children. And then they rebelled. So God made us. He lost us. And then through Jesus Christ, He has bought us back again. That is His intention for you and I at the high cost of His Son. He did that for us. And and we've received His Holy Spirit into our soul. We are birthed into God's family. We are positioned as God's child. This redeem, And this redeeming and this adoption... That makes us sons. This is the proof of His love for you. If you if you have no idea how much God loves you, think about the fact that He redeemed us, and and it cost Him something to redeem us, and it's something that He didn't have to do, but He gave His own precious Son to buy us out of the slave market of sin. He brought us out from under the burden of the law, and we are confidently looking for the return of Jesus again to come in the air, to in the clouds, and we're going to go meet Him in the air, and we're ever going to be with Him. What a beautiful beautiful intention that He had for us. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, His child, and forever I am. Think about His intention to us. It is, it's humbling to think about this intention that our Father had for us and fulfilled through His own precious Son. But we not only see the intention here, we see an indication. And we see that in verse 6. It says, And because ye are sons, we're, we're not called sons, we, we are sons, we are children of God, and because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God coming into our hearts, this is... This is a person. This is the third person of the tr- Trinity. God the Holy Spirit is the power and the agency of influence in our lives. If you and I are living the Christian life, it's because the Holy Spirit is influencing us to do so. It's all glory and praise to God and credit given to Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the one that is magnified. But understand the teachings of God's Holy Spirit. He is influencing the Christian life. The Holy Spirit lives the Christian life. Mankind in the flesh doesn't. And he and when we submit ourselves to the Lord, then that's how the Christian life is lived. And through this agency of the Holy Spirit, we have a conscious, consciousness given to us that we are the children of God. Romans 16 was one of my top five favorite verses when I was saved. And it says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We know if we're a Christian. We know we're children of God. How do we know that we're saved? Well, we know that we're saved because we know that we're saved. Because God sends that confirmation report to our hearts. We know we're children of God. And, and, and you think about the world out there and what the 
what the world says about God today, and, and that's my burden for the teenagers that we're going to go up and talk about tonight. But the world knows Him only as God. Children of God can call on Him as Father. An intimate relationship. Even more personally and, ultimate, and uh, intimately, we call Him Abba Father. The Bible says that the Spirit cries through us, prayers maturing us to the closest relationship we can have with the Lord. When we don't know what to pray, the Spirit is uttering that prayer for us. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit leads and guides us into all truths. We, we adopt into this intimacy with God through the work that the Holy Spirit does, and Jesus Christ is glorified. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts gives the indication to us that, that God is no longer just God to us. He's God to the world, but to you and I, He's Father. And He's Abba Father, or, or Daddy Father, if you will. That's how you call upon Him. In prayer, that's how you have the privilege and can call upon Him in prayer because of the relationship we have with Him. Well, let's look now at the, the identification. We, we've left the indication that the Holy Spirit makes in our heart. Now let's look at the identification. It says, Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God... Through Christ. How do you think that hits these Christians in Galatia with the erring that they've been doing? And he says, You're no more, you're not a servant. You're no more a servant once you've been saved. The servant was outside the family. The servant was was working and, and, and earning something and trying to earn something. But we're no more a servant. We are we are sons. We are identified as, as children of God. If God is daddy father, then we are no longer the servant outside the family. We're sons. And we're in the family of God. And we're in the family of God for good. We're, we're joint heirs. We're, we're joint heirs with Christ. We're citizens of heaven. We come boldly before our Father's throne now. We have rights and privileges and blessings. These Christians in Galatia, they knew this. They had this. And they start listening to something new. And they, they still have their salvation. However, all, all of the blessings and all the byproducts of salvation, they're ignoring for for some kind of flattering and some kind of charming that the devil has deceitfully brought about through someone else. Rights and privilege and blessing and children of God and we have security of our salvation. This doesn't become our position by works. We don't work for it. It is grace. It's not by the law. It's not a behavioral issue anymore. Our, our condition and the relationship we have with the Lord, our behavioral issue will have a lot to do with that. But our position has nothing to do with our behavioral issue. It has to do with God's grace, His gift to us, not words. It's not by the law, it's by freedom from the law. 
And what we see here through these verses that Paul has went to is our triune God. The, the, we have seen the Trinity here. Paul has shared with Galatia the plan of God the Father, the perfecting of the plan through God the Son, and the working power of God's Holy Spirit. There's nothing more important than the doctrine of our salvation. It's the, it's the foundation that we stand on by which we go out and learn everything else that we learn in God's Word. It's, it's extremely important. It's what God made Paul so passionate about as he directly related this to these, to these children of God in Galatia. And, and if you think about what we've been going through... What, what, a, what a beautiful speech, what a beautiful letter, what, a, what beautiful, constant, spiritual words for God's precious children that are, that are erring and astray. They are firm words, but, but don't forget that God goes after His children because He loves us. He leaves the 99 and He goes after the one. And this is God's beautiful power of drawing Christians back into right truth and right doctrine. Doctrine is extremely important, uh, can't be emphasized or taught enough. There are, there, are, there are kids that go off to college, and if they go off to college and, and get college knowledge, but they haven't received Bible knowledge first, even as children of God, they're going to they're gonna be a confused mess. It's so important for all of us to learn God's Word. Well, I'm going to just going to close this in prayer right now and then turn it over to y'all for praise reports and prayer requests. I would like some teenagers to grab these things on the front row after we pray. And we're going to go upstairs in the gym. Uh, Rick, word our prayer, please.